and about becoming different. I said it comes with a warning label. And, and this series, and this is the warning label, this series will change you if you listen to it, if you apply God's word to your heart and, and his will to your situation, to your life, it will change you. That's how God's word works. Uh, I also told you that you will see the world through God's vision. I started out this series I was, by challenging all of us to just get truthful, to get truthful with yourselves, to get truthful with our families, to get truthful before God. And I also told you in that same message that this series is going to be a tough series a tough series to write, a tough series to preach, a tough series for you to listen to and to respond to. But the reality is, brothers and sisters, we need a cleansing. It's still time for us to continue to detox from all these poisons and these soul toxins of, of mediocrity that we tend to thrive on. And one of the warnings I gave you at that first message, I need to reiterate today. I warned you that Satan would fight back. I warned you that he would step in between you and God, that he would try and confuse you with things, that, that he will try to tell you things like, well, Fatrock doesn't know you well enough to say that about you. He can't say that. He's, and he's right. Some of you, I don't know. I don't know what most of you struggle with. I don't know what's in your heart, but I know me. And I can tell you this, this sermon series all the way up to today has wrecked me. I mean, every week. I am preaching on things that at some point have been or are a part of my life. And this week especially, I'm speaking on rage rush. Uh, narrowing it down, I'm speaking about how we can neutralize the acid of anger in our Christian lives. And I got to tell you, since last Sunday afternoon, I've been angry almost every day this week. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I am not kidding. Uh, it started last Sunday evening. Last Sunday evening, probably around 6 o'clock, Mitzi finally said to me, well, you are grumpy. What is wrong with you? I was like, I don't know. But I'm just, I was just edgy. Like, like at church was great. Lunch was really good. You know, hanging out with people. I had a good Sunday afternoon. But man, somewhere between like 3 o'clock and 7, I just, I was getting this rage. This, this thing was happening and I couldn't explain it. And then as the week progressed, what really made me angry was that all the things that were setting me off, <laughs> they didn't amount to anything worth worrying about. They were like stupid things, but it was, it was there, and, and the, the anger was there. I, I had shared with somebody, I said, I've been a little rage rush monster like this whole week, like just from nowhere. I'm, I'm, I'm in good mood, and then all of a sudden just something would happen, and it would just kind of set me off. I know you may find that very uncanny for me because I'm, I'm fun and I'm laughable and I always tell good stories and I'm an amazing speaker. And <laughs> Oh, you'll laugh at that. Okay. I see where it is today. Uh, but, but what you may, and I'm humble. <laughs> what you may or may not know about me is that anger was a major part of my life from the age of nine until about 22 when I really started meeting anger head on as a Christian and, and battling with that, I was funny and, and I was I was somewhat comical and and I, I would you know I was still kind of like how I am today, but it didn't take much to set me off. I could go from laughing to want to smack you in the face like that, you know. But I had reasons. Mostly, it was somebody else's fault. I could blame my parents being divorced. I blamed the neighborhood that I grew up in, the people that I hung out with. I blamed the dysfunction of my family. I blamed steroids. 
Um, that's kind of funny, but all through, not because I was playing baseball, you understand, uh, but all through junior high and high school, I had to take steroids. They were prescribed for a blood condition that I have, but the side effects were still there, just like regular steroids. I had issues with anger, and, and so I blamed that. I blamed dysfunction. I, I even blamed God for my anger a lot of times. But, it, but it's dawned on me over the years, the reality is, the only person that I can blame for my anger is me. And the only person who can change this behavior in me is me. And the same thing goes for you. Because what I know is I'm not the only person in this room that struggles with anger. We all, we all hide it real well. So I told him, I said, leave that picture up until the computer freezes or blows up. <laughs> That's, that's how most of us live our lives. We're mild-mannered Bruce Banner, you know. I love that. I used to rush home for the Incredible Hulk. Don't make me angry. You won't like me when I'm angry. Oh, no, get angry. It was great. He drove cars around and stuff. It's good for Hollywood. It's not good for representing Jesus. It's not good for... That's not, that's not how we want to impact our community. That's not it. See, the way we treat people... When we're angry, especially, it can be very toxic. It can be very dangerous. And if, if, you're, if you're one of those people, if you're an angry friend and you bring rage into your relationships, man, we're doing more damage than good. We're going to talk about some of those things. We're going to talk about rage rush. We're going to see what God's word says about how we can neutralize the acid of anger. Will you just pray with me? Father God, uh, today it's personal. Uh, the things we talked about in the past, we could maybe point those to somebody else, but anger is one of those things that every day one of us deals with it on some level, uh, whether it's put on us or, or it's us being angry to, to the rest of the people around us. And uh, it's been a very real part of my life, and, uh, and I know I'm not the only one, and so I just pray, Lord, that as we look at your word, as we look at, at anger and rage and, and the things that cause it, that you will just open up our hearts. Give us strength in our minds so that we can begin to control anger, so that we can begin to change that aspect about us, so that we can be a reflection of you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Anger's kind of like a fire. And, and, and there's good fire and there's bad fire. Uh, I remember growing up in Florida, they would do, um, they would do um, uh, burns on purpose. <laughs> I don't know why. Basically, what happens is the, the trees grow and the pine needles and the stuff falls and it builds up. And they would go in and they would, they would do these intentional burns and they would, they would burn certain areas and that would keep huge fires from happening. Okay? That's a controlled fire. That's a good thing. Then there are other fires where, you know, lightning strikes one of those areas before man could get to it and all of a sudden 3,000 acres of the Everglades is burning and nobody knows how to put it out. Um, and so anger is like that. It's a lot like fire. Even a good fire that gets out of control can spread and cause amazing damage. So I want to ask you this question to start off right off the bat. Um, there's no warm-up here. I'm just going straight at you, so get ready to duck. When was the last time you asked Satan to come and hang out with you? Whoa. Well, why would you ask a question like that to a room full of good Christian people who love Jesus? Well... Because I know we would never ask Satan to come and hang out with us like a friend at a sleepover. You know, we're not going to send him an invitation. Dear Satan, there'll be a party in my heart later. I want you to come and bring the anger. 
That's not what we do. But Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27 says, if we aren't careful with anger, that's exactly what we do. Listen to this. Ephesians says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. You see, the beginning of that verse, Ephesians chapter 4, the beginning of that verse, um, do not let, or excuse me, uh, lost my place. In your anger, do not sin. That comes from Psalm 4, 4. We also need to understand from this verse, anger in itself is not bad or sinful. Okay? But just like fire, there are two types of anger. The first is a good kind that we holy rollers like to call righteous anger. We like to get on that one sometimes. Righteous. It's powerful emotions. They well up inside of us anytime something goes against God. This type of anger should lead us to righteous reaction. It, it should lead us to a place where we're going to take a stand and we're going to speak the truth, but we're going to do it in a way that honors God and it reflects Him in our actions. And the other anger happens when we just lose control of our emotions and we take matters into our own hands. That's the sinful anger. We get angry at something, and it even maybe it's a justified anger. It may be something that angers God, but when we allow that anger to lead us or to do or say something that's wrong, it becomes toxic. The next part of this verse from Ephesians says, Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. If you're angry, you should deal with it. The Bible says that we go to bed angry without resolving the anger, that we give Satan a foothold. Now, I've got to stop and tell you there's a difference uh, married couples or people who are thinking about getting married, there's a difference in going to bed angry, okay, and harboring anger and bitterness or going to bed with a disagreement, all right? I had some people say when I first got married, don't ever go to, mad, don't ever go to bed mad when you're arguing about something. And reality is you should probably just, men, close your mouths and go to sleep, okay? Because we're... If it's past midnight and we're still having a conversation, we're going to lose. All right? So, seriously, sleep on it. Pray yourself to sleep. Wake up the next morning. Resolve that. Now, there's a difference. You can have a disagreement and still not be angry, okay? But, but going to bed angry, the Bible says that's not a good thing. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. If, if you are, you need to deal with it. Here's the thing. The Greek word for that hold is topos which means opportunity or location. And so when we go to bed angry, we give, we give Satan an opportunity to get a foothold on us. You open the door to Satan through your anger. It's, it's the same thing as sending him an invitation to the party in your heart that I talked about earlier. You see, all of these toxins I've been talking about, they're bad news. But the Bible is still full of people that struggled with them. Many people dealt with these things, especially anger. Remember all the way back in Genesis, story about Cain and Abel? God didn't accept Cain's offering. Basically, he didn't do it the way God instructed him to. And when, when God rejects Cain's offering, he gets angry. He sleeps on his anger. A day or so later, he op- he's opening that door. Satan walks right in. God even says to him in Scripture, Why are you angry? Why is your face so downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. This is Genesis 4, 6, and 7. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. God's telling him, Cain, there's something on your heart. It's ugly. It's anger. It's crouching at your door. And if you don't, if you don't get rid of it, you're going to mess things up in a big way. Uh, the rest of the story, Cain lets his anger take over. He kills his brother Abel. 
God warned him, sin's crouching at your door. Flush that anger. He couldn't do it. Hopefully, you've never allowed your anger to actually get to a place where you wish that someone was dead. You know, I remember being little, <laughs> we'd get in trouble and we would always, you know, you'd get spanked or beat or whatever it was you got. And you're, you're running into your room crying and, and you're praying. You're like, dear Lord, please let them get hit by a truck. <laughs> you know, you did it. All right. <laughs> That's, we didn't mean those prayers. Okay. <laughs> you're six. <laughs> that, was, that was the worst thing you could think of. You didn't understand it was, it was for correction. But think about it, if, if we actually acted that way, you know, I, when I really think about how easily I'm angered over stupid things, well, my heart sinks. Jesus says we don't have to actually murder somebody to be guilty of killing them with our thoughts. And then we go, oh, man. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 talking about relationships personal relationships it says you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court but i say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court and whoever says to his brother you good for nothing shall be guilty before the supreme court and whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell the niv says this about the same verse anyone who says to a brother or sister raka is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. The word raka, it's an Aramaic word. It's a term for a term of content, meaning you really are upset with that person. We really need to control ourselves better than this. So what do you bring into your relationships? What do you bring into your work relationship? What do you bring into your friendships? What do you bring into the relationships in your family? Are you bringing this? Are you bringing raka? Are you bringing anger? Are you, are you a, a hub of it or a proponent of it in any way? Man, if we're calling them raka or fool, we are endangering our souls. God's word is extremely clear. If we don't get a handle on our anger, it will handle us. And it will shake us around like one of those little dolls that just, you know, your head spins. It's just a mess. Our relationships should be about accountability. They should be about discipleship. They shouldn't be a place where people can come in and we can start to gossip and we can harbor anger and we can do things that are less than average like that. Now, anger and rage may not be something that you really deal with or struggle with, but I know every one of us has been angry at some point. We all start out like Bruce Banner, peaceful, mild-mannered, that whole thing. And then we hide it the next day. We, we get angry. We get upset. Sometimes we don't even apologize. We just, the next day, act like we never did it. You doing okay? Yeah, I'm great. Why? Well, the, never mind. We don't want a repeat of it, you know. It's cool. I'm glad you're doing great. Proverbs fourteen seventeen says, A quick-tempered man acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hated. Are you this person? Are you, are you the quick-tempered person like me? Most of us express our anger in two ways. We're either quick-tempered or we just kind of stew over it. And we stew over the things that make us mad. You're like an old volcano. You know, somebody says or does something and you're like, well, that's frustrating. I'll give them a piece of my mind later. You just kind of bruise up a little bit. And then we just 
all of a sudden it, it builds up. We just let it fly. And it usually includes like weeks or months or even years worth of stuff that, you know, it happens most in marriages. And somebody always comes back with one of those. Yeah, well, three months ago when you, what? <laughs> That's what anger does. Either way, anger's bad. Proverbs 20, 29, 11 says, a fool always loses his temper, but a wise man holds it back. So we had to be careful there because you may be thinking, oh, well, I hold my anger back. I'm a wise man. I do well. Sure, on the outside, you look like you got it together. But on the inside, you're stewing about something. And by the time it gets out, it's really too late to do anything constructive with it or to fix it. It just comes forth and it's like hot lava. Both kinds of anger, though, they have a prescription. They can be conquered by something. It's very simple. They can be conquered by love. You see, when we stew over things in anger, we're practicing the opposite of love. I love looking at 1 Corinthians 13, 5, because it says love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. I want to look at that whole verse. Go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 13. And I'm reading from New American Standard Bible, uh, just in case you're like, mine doesn't say that. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4. Uh, until I just stop reading. And it goes like this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag and it is not arrogant. does not act unbecomingly. does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It does not take into account of wrong suffered. does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The NIV says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrong. Continuing in verse 6 there, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? And the older brother, um, he always baffled me. Because his, his, his younger son, he, he gets the inheritance, he goes out, and he returns home. He's broke, he's busted, he smells like pigs, he's got nothing, except just he wants to ask his dad, can I just work for you? I'll take, I'll take the, the worst job, just let me work for you, because I know you provide better for your servants than I'm providing for myself, and I've, I've just lost everything. And, and, and the son is coming home, dad hugs him, kisses him, put a ring on his hand, put sandals on his feet, put a robe on him. Get the fatted calf. We're going to have a party. My son who was dead is now alive. He's home. And dad's throwing a party. And what's the older brother do? He comes home and he sees there's something going on. He asks a servant, hey, what's happening over here? Ah, your brother who was lost has come home. He's having a party? And the older brother, he gets angry. He gets so angry he doesn't even go inside. He's just like outside pouting and kicking rocks or something and just stewing about it. And his dad comes out and, why, why won't you come in here? And, and finally he lets it all out. Like, like a volcano. Here it comes. He's like, I worked like crazy for you. I stayed here. I followed all of your stupid rules. I did everything you asked. And you've never even given me a cow. His dad's like, don't have a cow. Uh, see what I did there? Um, he says, you never even gave me a party just for my friends. And yet this guy, he took everything you gave him and he just squandered it. Now he's home and you're celebrating that. Man. 
That's a little bit of a paraphrase of the story on my part. I want to let you know that when you read that later, it's, it's my, my version. But here's the thing. The older brother, he was one of those people that stewed over things. He stewed over his anger. And Satan crept into his heart. Proverbs seventeen fourteen says, The beginning of strife is like letting out water. So abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. You know what comes from a quarrel? Things like anger, rage, bitterness, envy, deception. All these soul toxins, all these deadly things come from just a simple quarrel. All are life-changing if you don't let them go. Once I get angry, it's like letting water out. I'm that verse right there. Kind of like Bruce Banner without all the green. I just go off and stuff starts coming out of my mouth. And, and sometimes I get to where I can't think fast enough to get the words out. And I start stumbling over my tongue. And, and I'm not like cussing and stuff, but I'm just like trying to make my point. And so I get all fired up. And then the rage just looks and sounds silly. You know, and it usually happens with Dylan, who's 10, which really makes me look silly. Because <laughs> I'm like, just open the thing and get in the thing and just do that. And he's like, what? You know. <laughs> And we're talking about cutting steak or something. It's just, that's, that's what we do. Because the problem is, we weren't created to have rage and anger. That's not what we were created for. That's not, when Genesis talks about being created in his image, that's not it. But we choose to have rage and we choose to have anger. We'll look at James chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. Think about this. And if you, you get a minute this week, read, read back through James chapter 1, but, but especially verses 19 and 20. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Okay, so what produces human anger? He tells us in verse 21. Let's check that out. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accepted, excuse me, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Moral filth and evil. And we choose to latch on those things, that's when we start to choose anger over better things. I, Satan's right. I don't know you well enough to call you out on anything right here, right now, and I wouldn't, even if I did. But my question is is moral filth prevalent in your life? Is evil in your life, even just a little bit? Because it will eventually give way to anger and rage. Even if it starts out with just a little bit, uncontrolled, unchecked, left there without accountability with someone else who's loving you and can help you walk through it, it will give way to anger and rage. Verse 22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So what does the word of God say we should do? What what can we do to control the soul toxin of rage rush? Because regardless of whether you spout off your anger like me or you stew over it like the prodigal son in the story, if we don't learn to control the way that we respond to this soul toxin of anger, if we don't learn to express it productively, it will consume us. So what do you want to be? Do you want to be a quick-tempered, foolish man who's hated by others? 
Or do you want to be a wise, God-honoring man that holds it back, that tries to keep rage at bay, that does something productive with it? How do we do that? How can we keep rage at bay? The one thing that can rally against all these toxins, especially rage, is love. God's love is the fire extinguisher we need to put out the fires started by anger and rage. As we come to our response time today, if you know that your anger is leading you to sin, either in your heart or with your behavior, I want to challenge you. Let your response today be to ask God to quench that fire with his spirit. Sometimes it seems impossible, but anger and rage are a choice. You can control it. Don't try to tell me one of those, that's just the way you are. I just have a quick temper. I did some some marriage counseling a few years back with a couple, and they hadn't been married very long, maybe about five, six years, and they were having some communication issues. And the husband had five or six things. He was like, this needs to change in my family. This needs to change. This needs to change. This needs to change. The wife said, you know, I just wish you weren't so angry. And he said, well, that's just kind of how I am. I'm just, I'm just to the point. I was like, wait a minute. You got a list of five or six things that you think need to change in your family. And your wife just said, you're just angry. And you said, your response wasn't, I'll try to change. I'll try to do better. It was, well, that's just how I am. I'm just, I just got a short fuse. Mm-mm. Make it longer. And he looked at me like there was something wrong with me. I understand. I have a short fuse. Make it longer. Relax. Some things I want to offer to you. Start practicing self-control over your anger. If we all did this, our world would be an amazing place. If we did this very thing, just before you get all worked up and angry, ask yourself a couple of questions. You can write these down. They'll be in my first book, which I'll probably never write because I'm a procrastinator. Uh, How will this affect me in two weeks? It's the first question you ask, no matter what the situation. How will this affect me in two weeks? Will it still make you mad in two weeks? If the answer is yes, then you have to ask the next question. How will this affect me in three or four weeks? Is it still going to make me mad in three or four weeks? And maybe at some point you have to take that a couple weeks at a time all the way out to about two to three months from now. The point is this. If it's not going to bother you in two or three months... We shouldn't let it get us angry right now. And the reality is, most of the things that set us off, we won't even remember in two to three months. James gave us three things to work on when it comes to anger. The first one, we should be quick to listen. You don't always have to agree with everybody at work or everybody at home or everybody wherever at school. Listen. If we spent more time listening to one another and less time trying to be heard we'd be less angry. I'm an example of that. The next one is we need to be slow to speak. Process it. Make some notes. Write it out. Think it through. That's hard for me because I'm one of those people that sometimes my mouth starts going. You'll find it's hard to believe before my brain really engages and I'll just say stuff. And then it's out there. And then I'm backpedaling and I'm begging for forgiveness. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, process it, think it out. And most of all, be slow to anger. Figure out a three or four step process that will take you so that you're not straight to angry. It's not easy. It takes a long time. 
But I don't know about you, but I know this. I still haven't mastered anger. It's, it's part of me. It's a soul toxin that creeps in and out of my life. Typically, it happens when I think I've got it licked, and then all of a sudden, wham, there it is, and I allow it back in. But I know this. I want my heart and my life to be filled with Jesus Christ. I don't want it to be filled with Satan, and I will battle that every day to keep it that way because I don't want anger to win. How about you? It's time to give this battle of anger over to the Lord. It's not a battle we can win by ourselves. We think we can. Because when it's all said and done, we think, well, I won't do that again. That was embarrassing. <laughs> Can't go back to that restaurant. You know? <laughs> Look, it was just an undercooked steak. It's not that big a deal. But that's what we think. It, it gets past us and we go, oh, I won't do it again. But it's not a battle we can win by ourselves. Maybe your first step with this battle is baptism. Maybe you've been fighting anger all by yourself and you're just like, man, I've got to just give this all up. I've got to leave it here. And, and that's how you're going to start fresh. Maybe it's prayer, rededication. Uh, our elders are here. They would gladly pray with you and, and give you some direction on this. But whatever your response is today, I pray that you will make it. If you need to just stop anger in whatever way, at whatever level, don't go to bed angry. Not anymore. Not after today, because when you do, you're inviting Satan into your life. And when he comes into our life, we start pushing God out. And that's really not where we want to be. Will you stand and sing? And if you have a response, let it happen.